It is a blessing to be able to share with you this morning, to be able to celebrate the Lord's Day, and to be able to do so with other like-minded individuals who have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, and that is what we are here to do today. And uh, it is a blessing as the school year begins to start back up. We're in the new calendar year, but it's also that time where uh, the kids are getting ready to go back to college. There's all kinds of things that are going on in people's minds. We've got so many things on our agenda, but what a blessing to be able to take time out of our busyness to simply worship the Lord and to draw near to Him. I want to begin this morning with a brief story. It was a foggy morning on July 4th, 1952, when a young woman named Florence Chadwick waded into the water off Catalina Island. She intended to swim the channel from the island to the California coast. Long-distance swimming was not new to her, for she had been the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions previously. The water was brutally cold that day. The fog was so thick she could hardly see the boats that were in her party. Several times, sharks had to be driven away by the rifle fire. She swam more than 15 hours before she asked to be taken out of the water. Her trainer tried to encourage her to swim on since they were so close to land. But when Florence looked, all she saw was fog. So she quit, only one mile from her goal. Later, she would explain, she said, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen the land, I might have made it. It wasn't the cold or fear or exhaustion that caused Florence Chadwick to fail. It was the fog. Many times we too fail. Florence Chadwick was very much like us, not because we are afraid or because of the peer pressure, because of anything other than the fact that often we lose sight of the goal. Maybe that's why Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Two months after her failure, Florence Chadwick walked off the same beach into the same channel and she swam the distance, setting a new speed record because she could actually see the land the second time. Today, I want us to look at a passage where Jesus calls Peter to press on, to go further out into deeper water, and then to be transformed by a simple, from a simple fisherman into one of the greatest evangelists that the world would ever know. And although he may not have been able to see the whole picture, he followed the instruction of the one who did, one of the best decisions of his life. Look with me at Luke chapter 5 this morning. We'll begin, begin reading in verse 4, and we'll read through verse 11. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 4, says this. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water, and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, 
Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will fish for men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now as we come to Luke chapter 5, Jesus has already become somewhat of a celebrity. I understand that it's relatively early in his ministry, but it didn't take long for people to take notice of Jesus. If you remember, I think it was last week, we looked at Jesus' miracle at the wedding of Canaan, the wedding of Cana, where um, Jesus is there and they ran out of wine. And Jesus turns water into wine. He allows the, uh, a, a very simple act It actually becomes an incredible launching point where people begin to take notice, even though some may not have even realized what he did. Some did. On this particular day, a crowd of people have gathered to listen to Jesus preach. Wanting to communicate clearly to as many of the people as possible, Jesus boards Peter's boat and he moves just a short distance off the shore where he would then preach to the people. Now, before we dig into what happens on this day, perhaps it would be good for us to consider the real reason that Jesus got into the boat that day. The first assumption is that it's an acoustic thing, sort of, uh, sort of like Jesus going up on a hill where he could preach down to thousands of people and his voice could be cast out over a larger group. If the people were right on top of him, it would make it really hard for all of them to be able to hear. The ones up close would hear well but some might not be able to hear as well. By stepping back from the people, he could project better. But was the boat really necessary for that to take place? Consider the story in Matthew chapter 14, where Jesus actually walks on water. They've had a great day of ministry, and Jesus tells his disciples, you guys go on over to the other side of the lake, and I'll catch up. How did they expect him to catch up? Jesus comes to them in the middle of the night, and he is walking on the water. Now, if Jesus can walk on water, did he really need Peter's boat to be able to get a little distance off the shore? Clearly, Jesus didn't need Peter. He could have simply walked out a little ways. The people would have been really in awe of what he was doing, and he could have preached, and I'll guarantee you everybody would have been listening intently. When was the last time you saw somebody walk on water? Jesus didn't need Peter's boat that day. I know it's early in the sermon here, but I want you to realize that as Jesus did not need Peter's boat, I suggest the use of Peter's boat was not as much out of convenience, but rather Jesus handpicked Peter because he had a plan for Peter's life. Let me give you this point here. Just as God handpicked Peter for something bigger, than Peter ever imagined, God has handpicked you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. God didn't need Peter, but Jesus gives Peter the privilege, the opportunity to be and to do more, and the same is true for you. God has reached into your life, and he has said, I desire to do something great in and through you. He has handpicked you out of everybody else in the world, to do 
certain things. Today, Jesus desires to step into your boat and for you to become a part of something far bigger than you could ever imagine. God has been doing this with unlikely people for centuries. Biblically speaking, we see it in the life of Gideon. In Judges chapter 6, we are introduced to Gideon. You know what he's doing? He is hiding from the Midianites. He is an ordinary, fearful young man whom God would call to lead the people of Israel. He would become one of their judges before they had kings. Or consider King David. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, God takes an ordinary shepherd boy and he anoints him to be the next king of Israel. And of course, then there's Paul. Well, actually, he was Saul. His life was all about opposition to Christianity. Yet God would transform him in an unexpected way into one of the greatest missionaries of all time named Paul. All three of these individuals would personify this verse behind me today, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Realize that Gideon, although when we are first introduced to him, he is a fearful young man, he would not be viewed as a fearful anything because God would anoint him and move mightily within his life and he would lead the people of Israel. King David was just a little shepherd boy. He was a young man who took care of sheep. He was the smallest of all of his brothers. And when Samuel shows up at his house to anoint the next king of Israel, his father, Jesse, doesn't even consider bringing David in. There is the assumption that if God's going to anoint someone, it's going to be one of the big, strong, good-looking guys. Now, David might have been good-looking, but nobody would have called him big and strong. He was one of the smallest and therefore, he works through the entire line of the sons of Jesse. And almost in disappointment, he looks at Jesse and he says, is this it? As if this is all you got? And Jesse says, well, there is one more, but he's out tending sheep. Bring him in. And Samuel anoints David to be the king of Israel, perhaps the greatest king that Israel would ever experience. Saul, a man who spent his whole life trying to do what he thought was honoring God and stand in opposition of this Christian faith. Yet God handpicked him to become one of the greatest missionaries of all time. Well, God is still handpicking people for his work. And in the midst of our sin, God calls out to us, inviting us to a great privilege. Will you let him in your boat today? But being in Peter's boat was only the first step. After Jesus preaches for a while, Jesus then instructs Peter to put out into deeper water. We're going fishing. Well, Peter's response is a logical one. I mean, think about it for a moment. Jesus already has a following, but it's not because of his fishing abilities. He's a great speaker and he can do some pretty cool magic tricks, even though they're not really magic turning water into wine and maybe some other small things. But Peter, he knows fishing. There were certain times of the day when fishing was at its best. 
There were certain places where Peter knew that water and he knew where to go to be able to fish. And here Jesus is telling them, I want you to go out just a little bit further where the water is deeper and you're going to fish. And you can almost hear Peter's response almost with a, come on, Jesus, this doesn't even make sense. To sort of put it in my translation, this is kind of Peter responding and he basically says, This is kind of dumb, but because it's you, I'll I'll do it. It didn't make sense to Peter, but what we see is Peter responds with a reluctant willingness. Lord, this isn't, it doesn't make sense to me. This isn't my choice, but you know what? If you really want to do it, I guess we'll do it. You know, there will be times that God will call us to do things that may not make a lot of sense to us. And we may be a little bit reluctant, like Peter. But my hope is that we are still willing, just as Peter was willing. Maybe God calls you to go get a degree, or to pursue a new job, or to start a new ministry within the church, or to talk to somebody that you do not currently like, but God calls you to do it anyways. Whatever it is, you know that it is a stretch for you, but God calls you to do it, so you choose to do it anyways. You put out into deeper water. Let me ask you something. Do you really think that Jesus wanted Peter to fish because he was hungry? Do you think Jesus wanted Peter to put out into deeper water because he'd been talking all morning and he needed something to eat? Do you think somehow... Jesus needed the food that they would catch. I don't know, a little bit later, we see where a young boy brings five loaves of bread and two fish, and Jesus would feed thousands of people with those five loaves and two fish. My suggestion is that Jesus probably didn't need the catch of fish that day, which begs the question, then why did Jesus call Peter to go out a little bit deeper? Just as Jesus did not need the boat, he did not need the fish. And the reason he wanted in the boat was for Peter's benefit. The reason he wanted the fish was also for Peter's benefit. He wanted Peter to know that he was the one who could provide for his every need. Regardless of how reluctant you may be, God desires a willing heart from us. One that will go out into deeper water and will say yes, even though we may be reluctant. Logic told Peter this wasn't going to work. And maybe in your mind, this just doesn't make sense when God calls you. But do you trust the one who is calling you in the first place? And considering this, I'm reminded of an occasion with Naaman when he sought healing from the Lord. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 9 to 14. Let me read it to you. It says, So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. 
Naaman's servants, went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Naaman was not from Israel, yet he heard that there was someone in Israel who had the ability to call upon the Lord and bring healing in his life. Struggle with leprosy. Leprosy was basically a death sentence. If you had leprosy, you were an outcast in society. Nobody wanted anything to do with you. Naaman was a man of great authority and power, yet this leprosy would become a problem. So he needs this healing. He would do anything to receive this healing. So he goes to Israel, to the house of Elisha, and he asks him to heal. In Naaman's mind, this doesn't make sense. First of all, Elisha just should have come to the door. Elisha doesn't even give him the time of day. Basically, he sends a servant to go do it for him. Naaman is an important man of great power and authority. Why would Elisha not come to meet him? Naaman has traveled all the way to Israel. The least he could do is give him a face-to-face encounter, even if the word is no, but instead he sends a servant to deliver the message. And then, of course, there's the fact that Elisha doesn't put on this big magic show that Naaman was expecting. I guess he was looking for Elisha to be some sort of entertainer. He, he should have lit some kind of fire, offered a sacrifice. He said he didn't even wave his hand over the spot or call out to his God. It was as if he was expecting Elisha to dance and to shout and all of a sudden be healed. But instead, he instructs him to go and dip his body into the Jordan River seven times. Why the Jordan? We've got rivers in Damascus that are more beautiful than the Jordan. What is Elisha thinking? So Naaman storms off in anger. He's been given very simple instructions. Go deep into the water seven times and come back out. But it didn't make sense to him, so he decides he's leaving. Forget this, I'm going home. Until the servant comes to him and gives him just a little dose of common sense. And really what the servant says is, I thought you were desperate, Naaman. I thought you wanted this healing. If he'd have told you you had to go do something great, would you have done it? Well, yeah, I guess I would have. And why wouldn't you go and dip seven times in the Jordan River? Why not? So he goes deep into the water, not once, but seven times. And on the seventh time, it says that he comes out clean, free of leprosy. His skin is like that of a baby. He was reluctant to do what he had been told, but he was still willing. And I think it's clear that God already knows about your reluctance. When God calls you to act and you think to yourself, "Uh, maybe I misheard him because I don't think God would ever want me to do that. There's a sense of reluctancy, but God desires that we simply be willing anyways. Back to our original story in Luke chapter 5. 
Peter reluctantly obeys, and God provides great blessings for he and his business partners. In fact, the catch of fish is so great that he has to call in basically another boat so that they can help pull all of the fish in that day. Now you think about the contrast here. Peter had fished the way he knew how to fish all night long. Remember, Jesus tells him to go out and cast your nets in the deeper water. And Peter's response is, but Lord, we've fished all night and haven't caught anything. You see, Peter tried to do it the logical way, but it just didn't work out. But when he chose to do it the way God was calling him to do it, God provided such a blessing that there was not enough for him to be able to take it all in. So much of a blessing that others had to come and benefit from this blessing as well. When we do things our way, it may seem logical to us, but we are far better off if we would stop and do things God's way instead. Doing things on our own will only get us so far. We have all these plans in mind of what life is going to look like and what we need to do in order to succeed. But doing it our way doesn't always work out the way we want. Here's the contrast. When we do it God's way, his blessing is always greater than we could ever anticipate. It's not to say that if you follow God into deep water that he'll give you a million dollars. Or that you'll win the Powerball. I'm not telling anybody to go buy a Powerball ticket. But if you follow God, it does not mean you're going to win $1.3 billion. But if you do, you better tithe. (laughs) I'm half joking about that. Don't buy lottery tickets. Take Peter, for example. Certainly he has one of the best fishing days of his life. But the real reward is not in the catch of fish. I'm sure he was excited about the fish. You know, you you fished all night, you didn't catch anything. You've almost got this sense of, wow, that was a waste. And you're cleaning nets and you're just kind of going through the routine and Jesus shows up and, and, and maybe it's a distraction. You're just glad to have something to listen to, something to look at after a whole night of wasted nothing. And all of a sudden, you've got all this fish. He's been on a roller coaster ride here. He had nothing, disappointment, frustration. Now he's got so much he doesn't know what to do with it. He's having to share it with other people. But the greatest reward was not the catch of fish. It was what happened next. His life is changed as he makes the choice to then leave those nets and his boat so that he can follow Jesus. Up until this day, Success for Peter was probably tied to how many fish he caught. Upon meeting Jesus, success would be redefined. We close with God's calling and Peter's response. His deep water fishing expedition would only be the beginning. I asked the question, why did Jesus need to be in Peter's boat? Why did he want to catch those fish? It wasn't because Jesus needed that boat and it wasn't because Peter needed the fish. It was because Jesus Christ wanted Peter to know that he was the one who was in charge of everything. The best experience you'll ever have will be when you step out into deeper water. When you respond to God's calling, 
Perhaps there's some reluctance. The fog keeps you from seeing the bigger picture. Perhaps there's some fear. Jesus says, do not be afraid, for from now on you will fish for men. I think God may be calling some folks here today to get your feet wet. Just put out a little ways to experience ministry in a different way. Maybe God is calling you to serve in a ministry or just to be present in a ministry. You think about it. What did Peter do for the first part of the day? He sat with Jesus and he listened. He was simply present with Jesus. But at some point, Jesus said, now it's time for us to go out into deeper water. See, I believe God also is calling many, many people to do more than just sit and listen, but to become active participants in what God is doing. Jesus didn't need Peter, didn't need Peter's boat. He didn't need the fish. God could have made all those fish jump into the boat without Peter. But God allowed Peter to be an active participant in what was taking place that day. In the same way, God desires that you be an active participant in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Who knows? Maybe God has already called you out into deeper water, but you have simply chosen not to go yet. I think that maybe the time is now. Maybe you're a little reluctant. It's okay. Are you willing? At various times in life, I find myself asking the question, what difference has my life made? Maybe I'm a little bit too philosophical with stuff like that. I imagine if Peter had asked this question of himself the night before Jesus showed up, or maybe even the morning that Jesus showed up after the long night of fishing and catching nothing, there might have been a little bit of disappointment. He had caught fish, he had a nice boat, he had a family. It's all good stuff. But really, had his life impacted anybody for the long term? He was just another individual that caught fish out on the lake. But when he became reluctantly willing to follow Jesus Christ, he became a world changer. God can do the same thing in you if only you would be willing to put out into deeper water and to become an active participant in his work. I don't know where you are. I, don't, I see you in the pews. I mean, I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know the things that God may be calling you to do. But I'm telling you, God is looking for willing individuals who will simply follow his lead and change the world around them. My prayer is that that would be you. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we thank you for the story of Peter. We know that this is just, in many ways, just a story. And maybe to us it just sounds like a really cool thing that happened. But we know that there's so much more to this. It's not as much about the fish it's about the calling that you placed on Peter on this occasion to go and to make a difference in the world. But I believe today that in this body of believers, there are many who perhaps their feet have already been wet, but you are calling them to go deeper. You are calling them to be more than just observers. 
financial supporters, but you are also calling them to be active participants. Last week, we celebrated individuals who have been active participants all their lives, and they still are. But you need a new generation to rise up. You are calling a new generation to rise up and to become active participants. Lord, I pray today that you would stir within our hearts such a hunger to be world changers, to be obedient followers of Jesus Christ, who would be empowered by your spirit to go out and to make a difference in the lives of others. Maybe in this group there are some who they are feeling led to be in a new ministry, to help with children, to help with a new service, to, I I don't know, Lord, whatever it is, make us willing vessels. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let me uh, challenge you with something that's more informative, but at the same time also asking you to be an active participant. It has come to the church's uh, realization that we need to try to reach some different folks of people, different groups of people than what we have been reaching in the past. Um, I love what we do in this service, but we are looking at the possibility of starting a new service uh, that will probably not officially have our launch until late July or the first week of August. Um, There are apartment complexes all around this church. And there are a few individuals that are coming to this church through those apartment complexes, but the reality is we are barely scratching the surface. We have too good of a location to be able to minister to college students, specifically, and I know they're not all Clemson students, but really Clemson students. Um, We are going to be looking at perhaps using the Family Life Center for an alternative service that will take place on Sunday mornings as well. And I need, first of all, I need you to be praying that God would open up doors to make that happen. Uh, There are already some doors that are opening and we are excited about the opportunities that lay in front of us. But it is going to take a lot of effort and uh, more than anything, it's going to take the Spirit's leading. If He is not calling people, then it won't matter how good we make this. It has to be done very well. Um, This service might become slightly more traditional That service will become probably slightly more, actually a little more um, contemporary. I I try not to use the word contemporary because contemporary to you might be different from contemporary to me. Um, But that is what we're looking at doing. And more than anything, we need people to pray. But we're also going to need some individuals who will step up and be a part of making that happen. Uh, We believe that God has opened up some doors and... uh, Uh, Part of it, we're going to need some service. One of the best parts of having multiple services on a Sunday morning, sometimes individuals say, well, you know, I'd love to be able to serve in the children's ministry, but then I miss church. Well, if you have multiple services, you can actually participate in the children's ministry and go to church on Sunday morning. So you can actually do both of those. Uh, I'll tell you, if it happens, it won't be just because Pastor Mike wants it to happen. It's going to have to be a church thing. And I want to challenge you. Um, This is an opportunity to be an active participant. What it's going to look like, I'm not telling you all that because it probably won't look that way by the time we actually get it in place. Uh, But we're trying to make it happen, and uh, I'm inviting you to be a part of that process. Um, That's all I got for you.
Uh, thank you guys so much for being with us this morning, and my prayer is that God would remind you of this message over and over again, that he would challenge you and encourage you to be the people that God has called you to be, to take a step out into deeper water. Thank you and go in peace.